please pray with me. Lord God Almighty, you reign, robed in majesty, armed with strength. Indeed, the world is firmly established and it shall never be moved. Your throne is established from of old. You are from everlasting. Your statutes, Lord, stand firm. Holiness adorns your house for endless days. Because you are holy, 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 you call your people to be holy. So I ask that you would lead us, Lord. Show us in your word how to draw closer to you and increasingly be transformed into the likeness of our Lord Jesus Christ. Father, may this lesson inspire us to humble ourselves before you and receive your many blessings. Holy Spirit, pour out your power on your servant that I may speak your words to bless your people. And Jesus, we bow before you and pray in your precious and powerful name. Amen. Are you a woman the king delights to bless? God, the king of kings, truly delights to bless his people. But what does it mean to be blessed by God? The words blessed or blessing are often misunderstood and misused because they're connected to financial gain, material goods, or physical health. Those are gifts from God. If you say you're blessed because you got a raise or bought a new house, what does that say about your brother in Christ who just got laid off or evicted? Is he then cursed? If you say you are blessed because you're healthy, what does that say about your sister in Christ who is struggling with one health issue after another? Is she then cursed? The truth is, is that all that we have and all that we are is a gift from God. We should praise and thank him for those gifts. But we must be careful not to confuse physical gifts with spiritual blessings. The word blessed is derived from the Greek word makarios. It is a word used to describe someone of righteous behavior or having characteristics that God considers desirable. In Matthew chapter 5, it records the Beatitudes, the blessings that Jesus teaches are for the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, the merciful, the pure in heart, and the persecuted. Luke chapter 6 pronounces a blessing on the poor, the hungry, the weeping, and the hated. None of those recipients of blessings are healthy and wealthy. Macarius also speaks of blessing, the blessing of being part of the coming kingdom of God and of worshiping and honoring God. We bless God when we do that. The people who enjoy spiritual blessings in Christ are those who put their faith in him, experience his love and forgiveness, and work faithfully for the coming of his kingdom. So I ask again, are you truly blessed? Are you a woman, the king of kings, delights 
to bless. In Esther chapter 6, God is providentially at work blessing a forgotten Jewish hero and humbling a grossly proud pagan man. A sharp contrast is drawn between the humble and the proud, teaching us that God blesses the humble and humbles the proud. That's what we'll look at, this truth about God in three divisions, hero's honor, Haman's hubris, and Haman's humiliation. So our first division is hero's honor. Esther chapter 6 verses 1 through 5. If you open your Bibles, you can follow along with me. Once again, in the book of Esther, the sovereign hand of God is invisibly at work, even though he is never mentioned by name. We learned in lesson one that this is called the providence of God. Five times in the first five verses of Esther chapter six, God works out his purpose in and through the life of a completely unaware King Ahasuerus. First, God's providential hand is seen in the king's insomnia. The first sentence of verse 1, On that night the king could not sleep. Now we're not told why, only that he could not sleep. We can speculate. Did he have heartburn after enjoying a sumptuous feast prepared by Esther for him and his right-hand man, Haman? Maybe he was puzzled about what Queen Esther wanted to ask of him. She had boldly broken protocol to come before him, causing him to sense that maybe she was troubled. Yet she declined to tell him why until after a second feast the following day. Did he lay awake trying to figure out his wife? Or maybe King Ahasuerus could not sleep because someone was up all night hammering. Haman left that first feast fat and happy until he encountered his archenemy Mordecai, who still refused to bow and scrape before him. He went home, and his wife and his friends advised him to build a gallows 75 feet high and hang Mordecai on it. Then he could go about his merry way and enjoy the second feast. Now that's a nice summary of what happened the last time we saw the king, Haman, Esther, and Mordecai. But we still do not really know why the king suffered insomnia. Or do we? God is sovereign, always in control, even over a king's sleep. He needed the king awake on this exact night. The fate of the Jews turns on this insignificant detail of a king's sleepless night. Not the brave actions of Mordecai or Esther, not the hatred of Haman, and not the indifference of King Ahasuerus. This excludes everyone but God. He alone is providentially working to save his people from destruction. At the end of verse 1 through verse 2, we see God's providential hand at work two more times. 
The king gave orders to bring the book of memorable deeds, the chronicles, and they were read before the king. And it was found how Mordecai had told about Big Thana and Teresh, two of the king's eunuchs, who guarded the threshold and who had sought to lay hands on King Ahasuerus. So first, in God's providence, King Ahasuerus chose to have a book read to him, even though he had countless sources of entertainment. Women from his harem could comfort him. Court musicians could play him some lullabies. Royal courtiers could chat with him or play games with him. But God moves his heart to choose this particular cure for his insomnia, a dry history book that would certainly put anyone to sleep. Second, God moves the servant's hand to choose the very book in which Mordecai's heroic deed was recorded. Of all the books chronicling the extensive Persian history, the servant chose this one. God's invisible hand is certainly at work. Verse 3, And the king said, What honor or distinction has been bestowed on Mordecai for this? The king's young men who attended him said, Nothing has been done for him. The fourth outworking of God's providence actually occurred five years before. Persian kings were known for honoring all acts of loyalty or heroic service because it encouraged loyalty and heroic service. Mordecai's lack of reward reflected badly on the king. Mordecai knew this. Surely he wondered all these years why he had not been honored. In fact, he may have been a bit hurt or angry. Because on that same day, the king promoted a proud and evil man named Haman as his second in command. Mordecai was overlooked by the earthly king, but not the king of kings. As the old saying goes, God's delays are not God's denials. God's timing is always perfect. His patience resulted in Mordecai receiving the right reward at the right time for the right purpose. King Ahasuerus moved to rectify his oversight immediately in verses 4 and 5. He asked, who is in the court? Now Haman had just entered the outer court of the king's palace to speak to the king about having Mordecai hanged on the gallows that he had prepared for him. And the king's young men told him, Haman is here, standing in the court. And the king said, let him come in. For the fifth time, God's providence is clearly revealed. Haman arrives at the palace extra early to secure the king's permission to execute Mordecai that very day. Haman just happens to arrive at the palace at the exact time the king was looking for an advisor to advise him on what to do for this forgotten 
hero. Coincidence or the providence of God? If Haman had arrived an hour or so later, the king would have consulted someone else and the honoring of Mordecai would have looked different and been carried out by a different person. But God wanted to humble proud Haman as he finally blessed humble Mordecai. Mordecai would see that God's blessing often comes through unexpected people and providential circumstances. That's our first truth. God's blessings often come through unexpected people and providential circumstances. How have you seen God at work in your life in seemingly ordinary and unrelated circumstances? Or how are you failing to see God at work in your difficulties? Humbly go to God in prayer. Then await his answer on tiptoe in anticipation for what he will do and how he will do it. His blessings do often come through unexpected people and providential circumstances. It may take longer than you like. You may begin to think that he has forgotten you, that he's overlooked you, your good deeds, or your good works. How do you respond when your good deeds and acts of service go unnoticed? With humility? Injured pride? Or anger? Again, humbly go to God in prayer and trust Him. Wait on tiptoe in anticipation for His honor or blessing. The woman the King of Kings delights to honor is a humble woman. God's hand was hidden from Mordecai for five long years. He had been overlooked, and now, just a matter of in just a matter of months, all the Jews in Persia would be exterminated, according to the edict authored by Haman and rubber-stamped by the king. Any reward would be meaningless. Would God ever act to save? His people? What Mordecai could not see was the invisible hand of God at work for him and his fellow Jews through unexpected people and providential circumstances. That is often how he blesses his people. King Ahasuerus and Haman could not see God at work either, and there is no sign of humility in Haman. In our next division, all we see is Haman's hubris. That's our second division in Esther chapter 6, verses 6 through 9. Verse 6. So Haman came in, and the king said to him, What should be done to the man whom the king delights to honor? And Haman said to himself, Whom would the king delight to honor more than me? Now this is called hubris otherwise called excessive pride, arrogance, conceit, haughtiness, vanity, self-importance, pomposity. That is Haman in a nutshell. 
His pride is completely out of control. Imagine for a moment speaking the words Haman speaks here to the King of Kings, the Lord God Almighty. Whom would the King of Kings delight to honor more than me? What pride, what hubris. Scripture teaches that God hates pride. Proverbs 16, 5 says that everyone who is arrogant in heart is an abomination to the Lord. Be assured he will not go unpunished. James 4, 5 says that God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Why does God hate pride? Psalm 10, 4 tells us, it says, In the pride of his face, the wicked do not seek him. All his thoughts are, there is no God. That describes Haman. He has no God but himself. He has been promoted to the king's second in command. He has enjoyed an exclusive feast with the king and the queen and was preparing to attend a second exclusive feast. Now he enters the king's palace and is invited into the king's bedchamber to advise him on a personal matter. This new honor inflates Haman's ego even more. He cannot fathom anyone else the king would delight to honor besides him. So his response to the king speaks his daydreams out loud. Verses 7 through 9. For the man whom the king delights to honor, let royal robes be brought which the king has worn, and the horse that the king has ridden, and on whose head a royal crown is set. And let the robes and the horse be handed over to the one, to one of the king's most noble officials. Let them dress the man whom the king delights to honor, and let them lead him on the horse to the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man the king delights to honor. Haman places a lofty order for his own honor. The ancients believed that their kings were gods, and there was power in the garments they had worn and the horses they had ridden. At the very least, there was incredible prestige in wearing a king's royal robe and riding his royal steed. And Haman wants power as well as prestige and public acclaim. In all his pride and vanity, Haman's deepest desire was to be exalted and important in the Persian kingdom. Everything about him screamed, Me! 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 Look at me! Pride is the sin of self, and it is a sin that lurks in the heart of every human being. It's a sin that makes us self-centered, self-exalting, self-serving. This sin is a pervasive sin. The words humble, modest, selfless, those are almost four-letter words in our culture. Yet God blesses the humble and humbles the proud. 
and Haman's pride was on steroids. One commentator says that if all this honor was bestowed on Haman, it would signal to the Persian people that he was next in line to ascend the throne. This was Haman's goal. At the pinnacle of a glorious career, he would not be satisfied until he reigned as king of Persia. But he was about to trip over his own pride in magnificent fashion. He failed to understand that God blesses the humble and opposes the proud. He is the king of kings, the God who blesses his people. This means that God's blessing belongs to believers who die to self. That's our second truth, is that God's blessings belong to believers who die to self. What is your greatest source of pride? Which area of your life would benefit from a bit of humility? A brief scan of our culture on social media reveals the following sources of pride. Good looks, exercise regimens, culinary prowess, career, bank accounts, homes, children, grandchildren. Which of these convicts your heart of pride? Or for us Bible study ladies, maybe your pride is in your Bible knowledge or your spiritual maturity. Now, none of these things are bad in and of themselves, but when we begin to worship or exalt those gifts from God above Him, it is a sin. When we take credit for or boast about those gifts, it is a sin. Pride, my friends, is a sin, period. The remedy is twofold. Humble gratitude to the God who blesses and dying to self to acknowledge that God alone is the giver of every good and perfect gift. He blesses the humble believers who have died to self, meaning they have put their pride to death. They have humbled themselves before God and they are given countless spiritual blessings. But the proud will be humbled. Haman's hubris, his pride, his arrogance was an abomination in God's sight. It would not go unpunished. In our next division, God's invisible hand utterly humiliates him. That's our third division is Haman's humiliation, verses 10 through 13. Verse 10, then the king said to Haman, hurry, take the robes and the horse as you have said and do so to Mordecai the Jew who sits at the king's gate. Leave out nothing you have mentioned. Now the king refers to Mordecai as the Jew. It's uncertain how he knew that. Maybe it was written in the Chronicles and it's uncertain if he remembered Haman's edict and if he connected its consequences to Mordecai. In chapter 3 verse 8, Haman told the king that he wanted to exterminate a certain people 
He did not identify them as the Jews. Did the king not ever identify who he had de decreed for destruction? We are not told. In any event, it seems that for the moment, he was more concerned with honor than Holocaust. Mordecai must be honored immediately. Haman must have employed his best poker face. Crestfallen and devastated at the horrific turn of events, Haman is still in a precarious place. He is in the presence of the all-powerful and fickle king of Persia. He dared not express his true feelings or tell the king the real reason he had come to the palace so early. Asking the king to execute Mordecai was out of the question now. Instead of being hung, Mordecai would be honored as a hero, and Haman would be doing the honors. Can you picture what happens in verse 11? Haman took the robes and the horse, and he dressed Mordecai and led him through the square of the city, proclaiming before him, Thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Haman, dressing Mordecai, stripping off his old robe, draping the king's robe over him, the robe that he coveted for himself. He places Mordecai on the king's horse, a horse wearing his own crown, and he walks through the center of the city, bustling with people, proclaiming over and over and over, thus shall it be done to the man whom the king delights to honor. Can you imagine? Haman hated Mordecai with his whole being. He must have choked on every word. When we get to verse 12, it serves as a graphic metaphor for how God blesses the humble and humbles the proud for an eternity. First, we read that Mordecai returned to the king's gate. This paints the image of arriving at the gates of heaven, the home of the king of kings. It also reveals the humility of Mordecai. After being extravagantly honored by the king, he goes back to serving the king. The blessing of eternal life belongs to humble people like that. It belongs to the poor in spirit who humble themselves and see their great need of a savior. Next, we read that Haman hurried to his house mourning and with his head covered. Covering one's head was a symbol of humiliation and mourning. That certainly describes Haman. The image painted here is being covered with the shame of sin. And Haman running away from the king of kings rather than toward him in repentance. 
those who rebel against and reject the King of Kings will face final judgment where they will be required to pay the penalty of eternal death for their sins. On that day, Haman will be the one bowing and scraping before the reigning, conquering King of Heaven and Earth, who at this very moment is the supreme authority over the kingdoms of this world and over the entire cosmos. There is no inch of real estate, no symbol of power in this world that is not under his ownership and his rule at this very moment. Filled with evil and hatred, Haman carefully plotted and planned the destruction of the Jews. But God remains sovereignly in control. He can, he has, and he will continue to conquer all evil, all that opposes him and his people, and reign as the one and only King of Kings. Instead of receiving the king's honor, proud Haman will be forever humbled by the king of kings. Verse 13, And Haman told his wife Zeresh and all his friends everything that had happened to him. Then his wise men and his wife Zeresh said to him, If Mordecai, before whom you have begun to fall, is of the Jewish people, you will not overcome him, but will surely fall before him. His wife and his wise friends now realize that unseen forces are working on behalf of the Jews. Now, it was an historical and likely well-known fact that God often acted in spectacular ways to defeat the enemies of his people and ensure their existence as a nation set apart for him. The Jews were known for their powerful God. In Haman's humiliation before Mordecai, now a powerful, honored Jew, they see an omen of an even worse defeat to come. The tide had turned. Haman will not overcome Mordecai. In fact, God Almighty will overcome him. Remarkably, their hindsight is 2020. Our God is a mighty conqueror, and he pours out his blessing on the poor in spirit, that is, the humble, not the proud and arrogant. Our third truth is that God's blessings are poured out on the poor in spirit, not the proud and arrogant. Who do you know who is still proudly and arrogantly opposed to God? Have you ever acknowledged before God that you are poor in spirit and need a Savior? Haman's fall happened in the blink of an eye. He awoke one morning as a powerful man in a mighty empire, and he returned home that evening defeated and doomed. Likewise, every soul stands on the brink of eternity. 
In the blink of an eye, we can be ushered into eternity and standing before a holy God. How will he judge you? How will he judge those that you love? Will he see you clothed in Christ's righteousness and welcome you into his kingdom? Or will he say, I never knew you. Away from me, you evil doer. It is vital to remember that God's blessings are poured out on the poor in spirit, not the proud and arrogant. Remember that. Humble yourself to live the gospel and preach the gospel to the proud rebels in your life. Are you a woman? The King of Kings delights to bless. If you want to be counted as a woman that God delights to bless, the first needful thing is to receive his son, Jesus Christ, as your personal Lord and Savior. He is the one that God the Father delights to bless. And one day he will return and lead a magnificent victory parade as the conquering kings, king leading his enemies behind him. One day, every knee will bow before him, willingly or unwillingly, and every tongue will confess that he is Lord. Bow before him now and confess him as your Lord and Savior. The second needful thing is to humble yourself before God. Surrender control of every part of your life to him. Die to self and give God complete lordship over all that you say, think, and do. God delights to honor and bless the humble with spiritual gifts too numerous to count. Spiritual gifts like eternal life, the power of the indwelling Holy Spirit, Adoption as God's children, forgiveness of sin, peace with God and others, the steadfast love and faithfulness of God, heard and answered prayer, all-sufficient grace, mercies made new every morning, understanding of his word and his will, and so on and so on. These blessings and more belong to the humble those who choose to remain proud and self-sufficient, living independent of him, will be humbled. First to warn and to woo, then to banish them from his presence forever. Oh, my friends, be women that the King of Kings delights to bless Humble yourself before the Lord. God blesses the humble and humbles the proud. Please pray with me. Oh Lord, you are the blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, who alone has immortality, who dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To you be honor and eternal dominion. You are the conquering king who blesses those in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places.
In him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge, and in him we have been made complete. Incredibly, your divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ, who called us by his glory and excellence. Thank you, loving Father, for your extravagant blessings. May we use them to bless you in return. This we ask in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen.